Welcome, everybody. Time for another episode of Alive, brought to you by the Asher Longevity Institute, committed to the science-based and easy-to-implement lifestyle changes you need in order to live a much longer and much healthier life. This show is made possible through the generous support of People Unlimited, a premier longevity company in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more about People Unlimited and their partner longevity experts in the Coalition for Radical Life Extension at rlecoalition.com. That's rlecoalition.com. I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Longevity Institute studio in Washington, D.C., together with a host of Alive, John Asher, CEO and co-founder of the Asher Longevity Institute. John's guest is Dr. Abid Hussein, a fellow of the American College of Cardiologists and certified by the American Board of Anti-Aging Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Hussein is a physician at the Boone Heart Institute in Greenwood Village, Colorado, along with Dr. Jeffrey Boone, the Chief Medical Officer of the Asher Longevity Institute. The title of the show is Markers to Assess Heart Health, Including Needed Tests. Over to you, John. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Zane, for coming on again. Very, very welcome. Always happy to be here. Great. <clears throat> well, you know, when you look at big picture on longevity and why people die, there's about 600,000 people in the U.S. that die every year from one manifestation of um, atherosclerosis, heart attack, or stroke. So obviously, real big connection between living a much longer life and having a healthy heart as we go. Definitely. And so I've been focused on this myself, of course, for probably at least 30 years. And so this is all about a show, really about a podcast about <clears throat> what are the markers that we should be worried about to make sure our heart is staying healthy and we, we can expect it to live, you know, func function uh, incredibly well for, for as long as we want to stay alive. For me, that's only an unlimited life. So <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and so <clears throat> from a big picture standpoint, I mean, we all know about cholesterol being one of the main markers. And I'm sure we'll talk about a few more, but could you kind of start with the big picture? What, what, what should we all be doing at some point, probably when we reach middle age, to make sure our heart's going to last as long as we'd like it to? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that uh, it's also important to remember it not just as your heart, but as your vascular system, because, and hence the, car, the term cardiovascular, because the two are connected. And as the blood flow to the heart, gets compromised in the coronary arteries that will cause heart attacks. But that also happens in the rest of the, all of the arteries in your body. That's in your brain, that's in your neck, that's in your legs. And that can cause other problems that uh, manifest so, you know, down the road as well. So when we lose our the blood flow to any of our organs, then it's never a good thing, which is why longevity is, is one of the uh, well, actually, why cardiovascular health is one of the central components of good longevity. And so when we look at what causes obstructions or inflammation or damage to the cardiovascular system, a lot of times cholesterol is what gets focused on. And, and cholesterol itself is not really the bad guy. It is, it's a more of a bystander. Um, you know, there's an expression in functional medicine that wherever inflammation is, cholesterol follows. <clears throat> and so 
you know, we want to try and look at the inflammatory markers and not just focus on your cholesterol. So as we reach our middle ages, if we're being told that you're fine, your cholesterol is okay, and it's being based on your total cholesterol or just a few biomarkers, that's really an insufficient assessment of what your cardiovascular system is at that time and potentially for the future. And that's why I think that every every thorough cardiovascular assessment or any appropriate cardiovascular assessment has to look at inflammatory markers. And, and these are the markers that look at inflammation in the cardiovascular system. And, you know, there, there's, there's a list of them that we do at the Boone Heart Institute that can, can tell us in, at what stage a person usually is in the progression of atherosclerotic disease. And that can be atherosclerotic disease anywhere in the brain, in the heart, in the limbs, in other organs, because they all, it's all the same biomarkers. It's just in different areas. Yes, agree. And <clears throat> when you look at inflammation, it's caused by so many bad lifestyle choices. And I mean, there's probably a dozen lifestyle choices that cause more inflammation and of course, cause uh, stress to our atherosclerosis and our, and our vascular systems. So would you like to discuss mm -hmm. those first, some of the poor lifestyle choices we, can all, we shouldn't be making? Sure. Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, we, we know that, well, first of all, sleep is one of the most central and important things to, for health in general and for cardiovascular health. Because if we are lacking in sleep, then we, ha we end up having what's called a high sympathetic tone, or that's another way of saying the adrenaline tone. Our, our body runs in the spectrum of being, having, uh, having some sort of adrenaline tone at, at rest and when we're exercising. And we know this as the fight or flight response at its extreme when we're, you know, when, when we're having to respond to a stressful situation. But there are other gradations of it along the way at a much lower level. And if we're not sleeping well, then we ride a slightly higher adrenaline tone all the time. And that has adverse effects on our vascular system because epinephrine or adrenaline when released steadily and constantly, it can cause, cause oxidative damage and, and damage to the lining of the arteries of the heart and of the vascular system. That, and that can reduce a very vital hormone that is released by our vascular system called nitric oxide. So sleep itself has a very important effect on our vascular health. And then certainly what we're eating, if we're eating foods that are high in sugars, high in processed sugars, high in, in saturated fats, you know, those and, and eating foods that can irritate our gut, those all get leaked from our gut into our bloodstream. And then once in our bloodstream, the, the first place that they're going to impact is the, is the lining of the arteries. And that has to take the brunt of it after our gut takes the brunt of it. So that's another source of, of potential inflammation that uh, affects our vascular system that we need to really be aware of. Being yeah, inactivity is also uh, a, a very important uh, part of that. Yeah. yeah, if we're not active, 
our vascular system cannot generate nitric oxide appropriately. And that, as, as I mentioned just before, nitric oxide is vital in maintaining, um, maintaining vascular health, not only by maintaining it pli pliability, making it flexible, but also nitric oxide uh, reduces free radicals, reduces that inflammation, and it also reduces the capacity for inflammatory products to stick to the lining of the artery. So a lot of ways that nitric oxide helps and a lot of ways that it gets affected. Yes, and um, obviously, I, I think it's obvious, is excessive weight <clears throat> is a problem also, isn't it? Especially if you're, if you're obese or morbidly obese. Yeah, definitely. Weight management is, is a part of that because fat tissue is not an inert organ. It is actually an organ that generates its own inflammatory products. And those inflammatory products being released constantly over time do have an effect and an adverse effect on our vascular system. So just fat in your body itself um, generates inflammation. <clears throat> yes, it does. Yeah. The challenge of being in the first world society where we have nutrient excess, you know, this has ne never been a problem or never been a, yeah, never been an issue or a problem in humankind in the, in, until now. We've never had so much surplus and so much excess that our bodies don't know what to do with the nutrient excess. And it actually acts just as bad as having poor, you know, nutrient deficiency. I mean, on some level, starvation and, uh, and fasting is very beneficial, but if we have too little or, or, the, or the improper nutrients, it's just as bad as having you know, nutrient excess, even if it's good nutrients. No, I agree, uh, I agree totally. And um, you know, 50 years ago, we average Americans ate 2000 calories a day, and now we eat 2500 a day. And a lot of that I've learned is not our fault. It's the scientists at the food and beverage um, companies manipulating food, make, using additives, Mm -hmm. So that, you know, working on our, on the basic hormones, you know, serotonin, oxytocin, yeah. dopamine, et cetera, mm -hmm. to really make us eat more. And so you li literally, it's, it's almost like it's not our fault <clears throat> what they're doing to us. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, a, this takes us to a whole other topic because now we're talking, you know, yeah, the food industry has designed food in a very specific way to trigger our dopamine and, and uh, neurotransmitter releases, our craving releases. So when we have a combination of salt and sweet together, and it's mixed with a little bit of fat, that, that's the golden combination to hit anybody's yeah. cravings. And, and virtually any, everybody is, 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 you know, falls victim to that sort of craving. You know, I was just giving a um, vicious presentation in an unnamed city, and I was talking to a couple of members <clears throat> And they were basically saying, you know, I'm 60, one was 56, one was 60. And they said, I, I do everything right. I feel great, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and I am overweight. You could see that both of them were obese, actually, or at least bordering on it. And so everything's fine. So I'm not, not too sure mm -hmm. why I need to lose weight. So my response was, fat all by itself is inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And that, isn't that kind of the right answer? Yeah, it is. If they're, they're flat, fat by itself is definitely inflammatory, and that that 
inflammatory burden has a toll. It'll, it will take, it will cause some problem at some point in their lives. And the fat by itself, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, is, is going to predispose them to sleep apnea. It's going to predispose, predispose them to Alzheimer's, hypertension, vascular complications. And for the most part, and for many people, it's insulin resistance. And these all creep up. They're not something that happens quickly. And it's not, and it's not something that is identified unless it's a, in a full-blown pathologic situation. And you have to have an astute, thorough metabolic testing to a metabolic exam to really be able to tease that out. Yeah, I agree. John, John, it's time for a quick commercial break. The Asher Longevity Institute developed a nine-step program to guide you to a much longer and much healthier life. Our mission is to make this system easy to understand, simple to execute, and sustainable for the rest of your life. Go to asherlongevity.com today and sign up for the information and access you need to live the longevity lifestyle. That's asherlongevity.com to help you feel better now and achieve the longevity you desire. Now back to John and Dr. Hussein. You know, there's um, also other lifestyle choices that I'm pretty sure can affect can affect you in this regard, and that would be the, the advanced uh, glycation end products if you have an excess of them because of the glycation process, which is a little bit of fat, a little bit of uh, protein getting together with sugar, that excessive mm -hmm. AGEs can also cause it, can't they? Definitely, yeah, AGEs, what we know is that elevated glucose levels will cause a non-enzymatic change to proteins and carbohydrates in our body. And, that, and that's what, AGEs are, they're advanced uh, glycation end products. That's the non-enzymatic part of it. Now that, those by themselves are toxic and they, they can form, they can cause inflammation and form free radicals. And then they also, on top of that, stimulate certain receptors that trigger even more inflammatory products to be released by our body. So it's, so it's like you're doing a double damage when you, when you have uncontrolled glucose. Yes. So I was just reading about AGEs and, and the fact that if uh, our body does a pretty good job of getting rid of them, up and then the body can get rid of about 5,000 units of AGEs per day. But when you look at how many AGEs are in processed foods and in meats that have all those uh, additives in them, it's pretty amazing. An example would be uh, one hot dog has 10,000 units of AGEs. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so eat one hot dog, you've blown it for two days, which is crazy. Yeah, that's right. And I think one of the things that you're referring to that I, that, uh, that I didn't mention is that AGEs, are, they are in food products and those are those can be additive. And when you consume them, it doesn't, you know, there, there's the things that cause browning in some foods artificially. And then also these are uh, the, the kind of the burnt products that we have on, on meats and foods like that. So um, it's, it, it's present in a lot of different food areas that we're not really aware of. Oh, and what people don't realize is that it's um, mainly caused cooking at a high temperature. And mm -hmm. almost every processed food is cooked at high temperature. 
So when you're eating processed foods, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to bust your AGE budget for the day. John, John, it's time for the wrap up. So we cover everything, Dr. Hussein, that, that the uh, lifestyle choices that can affect um, these biomarkers? I think, well, there, I, I think there's, you know, I mean, there's certainly others that, that that will that will be helpful. I mean, eating the quality of our food is very important. Um, you know, as we're talking about it, processed food is 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 never a good idea. So this is why I always recommend that people that my patients have organic food when they can afford it, when possible. A higher vegetable content in their food. So you know, when we when we recommend changes in diet. It's not necessarily because we want them to go to low cholesterol foods. It's the type of foods. It's the quality of the foods. It's the type of cholesterol. It's the, you know, it's the, the avoidance of processed foods and, and the tendency towards foods that won't trigger these inflammatory processes. And that's what's really important because if you have a genetic predisposition to certain conditions, anything that's going to cause inflammation will just ignite that process in your body and so we want to avoid that oh absolutely and there's there's a couple of interesting books out there i like the titles one is called grain brain mm -hmm. and another one another one's called wheat belly <laughs> and what they both essentially say is <clears throat> they're eating too much grain especially wheat the um, wheat will cause a, a leak in your in your um, gut, your digestive system that allows the bacteria in your gut to get into the bloodstream. And of course, <clears throat> as we all know, once that happens, the yep. immune system goes to work and you got this chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. so eating, eating too much grain, especially wheat, can cause that, as you mentioned before, that leaky gut. It's like a little pinhole leak, right? That just continuously leaks out into the gut. And now you've got chronic inflammation on a continuing basis. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then the other thing to remember is that you, even though you may, so when you have leaky gut, you also have leaky brain, basically. And there's a membrane that surrounds the brain. It's called the blood-brain barrier. And that only lets certain particles that are a certain size or below a certain size into your brain. It, and it protects it for a good reason. Well, yep. when you have a leaky gut, it affects the, 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 pliable, the permeability of that membrane. And so more products will pass that, more inflammatory products will pass that and go into the brain and affect brain health. Yeah, as I think uh, many studies have shown, um, too much sugar in the brain can lead to neurodegenerative diseases. Yes, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So we, we've covered a lot of the... Um, um, the lifestyle choices people make that can cause this chronic inflammation and lead our, our blood vessels uh, <clears throat> getting in trouble and, and atherosclerosis of one sort or the other. So what are some of them, if we get a blood test, what should we be looking at? What, if, if, you, if you were going to advise a new patient, okay, here's where I want you to get a blood test. Here's what I want to see so I can see the status of your... Mm -hmm you know, your, your whole system, what was it? What are some of those key markers? So to, to run through the list quickly, there, there, then some of the words are going to be a little bit uh, foreign, but this is the, these are the lab tests to look at specific uh, biomarkers. Uh, there's one called F2 isoprostane. We look at oxidized LDL. 
Another one is for short called ADMA or also known as asymmetric dimethyl arginine. Uh, we look at microalbumin, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, LP-PLA2, and the last one is myeloperoxidase. And e each one of those gives us an idea of where the inflammation is occurring in the spectrum of disease, leading all the way up to, uh, you know, just about a heart attack. So if you get a standard blood test from LabCorp or Quest, and you ask for the, you know, the CBC panel, and, mm -hmm. um, and perhaps a, a male or female hormone panel, of all those, the only one you're going to get would be CRP, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, and that's even something that most, not every doctor will check. The high sensitivity CRP has made its way into the into general popular, popular use. And I think with good reason, it's, it's got a lot of good data for, for decades to show that it's a, a marker to detect low level inflammation. Uh, but the challenge with high sensitivity CRP is that it can also, any type of inflammation can increase it. So you could have an illness at that time, or even something that's, that's subacute that you're not even aware of. You could have arthritis, any, or any sort of thing that's going, to cause, that's going to increase some sort of inflammation anywhere in your body will increase that. So, so that's the only challenge with, high, with HSCRP, but it's a good entry point. Uh, and then after that, you would, we would want to see what the other markers look like to know if your, your uh, cholesterol is elevated because of inflammation. Um, and then, the, and then the, you know, the challenge is, and oftentimes it's, it's really uh, elusive what is actually causing the inflammation. Um, and it can be biometabolic issues, or it could be toxins in your system and, and or you know, just your lifestyle. But um, when we figure out that there is inflammation, the target really is then the cholesterol. So if you got, if a, an average listener, you know, got mm -hmm. a, a, a kind of a standard blood test and their CRP was low, is there any need to get the other tests or only if the CRP is high? No, I, I think that uh, the CRP fluctuates up and down um, fairly uh, in a short-term short -term basis fairly quickly. So it doesn't give us a long-term assessment of what's going on. And that's wow. when these other markers can really help us out because HSCRP or the high sensitivity CRP can be elevated for a little while and not be noticed and then go back to normal for a little while. It, it, it's very... Um, it's very mobile depending on the person's immediate state. Uh, but when we look at things like uh, lipoprotein PLA2 or LPPLA2, we look at oxidized LDL, um, we look at the ADMA, those give us a little more of a long term, longer term understanding of what's going on in the vascular lining and to, see, and to understand if, the, if plaque is being deposited. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, the, it's, it, it would be good for me to, to explain sort of the differentiation of what we mean by plaque versus cholesterol. I think, yeah. so, so cholesterol is what flows through our blood and it's what we, you know, we take in, our body makes it, we eat it, it gets digested in our, in our gastrointestinal tract and then packaged in LDLs, HDLs, and triglycerides. And those get put into our blood. 
our body uses those as precursors for hormones and, and for many other things inside the cell, basic metabolism. Um, but if we have too much of it, or and, and if the vascular lining is not healthy, then that can get underneath the lining, that cholesterol, and cause what cause plaque. And, and um, when it gets under the lining, it's, it's, it's still cholesterol. And that, that still it doesn't cause, you know, it doesn't turn into plaque until it becomes inflamed. So what happens is once it gets under the lining there, there, that's when our immune system starts to attack it because that is a foreign product. It's not supposed to be there. And when our immune system attacks it, that's when it converts it into oxidized LDL, which is what's highly toxic and causes the plaque. And those markers like LPPLA2, HSCRP, F2 isoprostane, those occur in that, in that progress going from cholesterol that gets deposited under the lining and then converting it to, to oxidized LDL and then plaque. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hussein. Let me just ask one more quick question. It's a simple answer, I hope. And that is, is the difference between having the CRP measurement and all the rest of those markers the same as a glucose measurement and an A1C measurement? Is there a parallel there? In other words, glucose is so, what, yeah. it is, what it is today, and A1C is averaged over a couple of months. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, good, that's a good analysis. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much. It's been uh, a very illuminating. Always good for me to hear you talk because you have such a great way of boiling down a whole bunch of complicated stuff and making it understandable mm -hmm. to the layperson like Dave and I, which is always a good thing. <laughs> well, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Yes, and we'll look forward to our next one. And thank you, everybody. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to visit us at AsherLongevity.com to learn more about the science, supplements, and strategies to live a much longer and much happier life. That's AsherLongevity.com. From now until we meet again, John Asher reminds us that looking after our health today gives us better hope for tomorrow. This concludes another edition of Alive right here on the Funnel Radio Network for listeners like you. The Longevity Institute developed a nine-step program to guide you to a much longer and healthier life. Our mission is to make this system easy to understand, simple to execute, and sustainable for the rest of your life. Go to asherlongevity.com today and sign up for the information and access you need to live the longevity lifestyle. That's asherlongevity.com to help you feel better now and achieve the longevity you desire.